praise the name of the Lord. Our children are dismissed to Kids Dome at this time. If you would open your Bibles with me to the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, and we will begin reading in verse 6. All right, when you got to say so. so. I was only a few of you. I'll wait for you. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 6. When you got it, say so. That's better. It says, But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we, for we were not disorderly among you. Nor do we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you, not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not eat, neither shall, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with them that he may be ashamed. Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Amen. Lord, we thank you for your word today. That is truth that sets us free, that reveals your will, that reveals your heart, that reveals your love to us. And this morning, Lord, we just ask you to speak, Lord, to us. We pray that you would give us ears to hear what you are saying to your church. And we pray that we would be doers of your word, that we would acknowledge what you are saying, and that we would respond to you with repentant hearts, with humble hearts, and with boldness, Lord God, to obey <clears throat> what you say and what you command. Father, we thank you for this time, and we pray that you be glorified in it. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. So raise your hand if you didn't get an outline as you came in. That should be a lot of us, all right? A few of us, we have a lot going on this morning. Praise the Lord, all of the transitions going on. We got shirts out there, glory to God. Amen. So, you know, it's a, it's a lot going on for our ushers, so we appreciate them. So make sure that when you leave today that you hug an usher, amen? You know, hug, hug one and tell them you appreciate them. You know, thank you for all the hard work um, that's going on. We really it sincerely appreciate you guys. Um, inside of those outlines, you are going to notice that there is a card in there, and this is an invitation. This invitation is not for you, okay? You already know you're invited, all right? You're, you, you should be here Christmas morning. There, you know, that, that, that's a given, but this is an invitation for you to invite someone else, okay? This is so you can let someone else know about this presentation that we're going to be doing. We're entitling it The Greatest Gift because Jesus is the greatest gift, amen? 
I know some of you didn't have a lot of enthusiasm there, like you might be getting a better gift this year. I don't, I don't think you're going to get a better gift than Jesus, right? I'm just saying. And so Jesus is the greatest gift, and so we'll talk more about that on Christmas Day, but regardless of that, um, you have this here, and so what I'm encouraging you to do is to utilize this, right? There's some more invitations out there. You can pick more up for, you know, if you have a, a, an ability to hand out some more to some, you know, different people, um, or you need more, there's, there's some more there for you. So we want everyone to utilize that so that way we can bring as many people to this presentation, and we can share the gospel with as many people as possible on that special day, okay? So utilize that. Um, as always, the notes are there for you, for you to follow along. We've changed the format up a little bit, so that way it's a little bit easier for you to take the notes. As we talked about last week, we are pu I put in there um, not just the intro, but there's also in there the main points that I'm going to make. And then there's some lines under each of those points. You can actually put notes under there. And then we have the notes section for you to you know, continue on taking notes. And then there's the questions that are reflective. You know, What do you feel that the Lord spoke to you? And how are you going to respond to him this week? In other words, we don't want you to try to wait months to respond to the Lord, right? We want you to respond to what God is speaking to you now. And as always, I want to remind you that we're supposed to be making disciples, right? That's what we're supposed to be doing. And so as such, my question is always going to be to you, who are you helping grow in their faith? Who is it that you are helping to come to a greater knowledge and a deeper revelation of who Jesus is? It is so important for us to be doing that. If we're going to be faithful to the mandate in the Word of God, which is us making disciples, then we need to be making disciples. We need to have somebody in our lives. It's not just about showing up to church. It's not just about hearing a message preached, but it's about us making disciples. And so we want to make sure that we are doing that. And if you don't have someone in your life that you are helping, that you are mentoring in the faith, that you're helping grow in the faith, then I challenge you. You know, to begin to ask the Lord to show you who that person is. And I promise you, you're not going to have to look far. Amen? They're right there in front of you. You're, you're, you're probably walking by them every day or at least once a week, and God wants to use you in their lives. And I want you to know that when you will make that effort to help someone grow in their faith, you'll be surprised how it helps you to grow in your faith. Amen? All right, so we are in our series. We're, we're wrapping this up. Um, the first part of the series is a little bit longer than the second. Next week is the last message in 2 Thessalonians when we finish with our end time encouragement series. Uh, but today we are in this, in this message, the 12th message here, and it is entitled Dis Disciplined or Distracted. Discipline or Distracted. If you look at your outline with me, in, in, in life there are few things, if any, that we can do well without being focused, and focus takes discipline. Can someone say amen to that? Amen. And I know there's some people that think that they can really multitask well. It's proven that you really can't. Are you here? Mm-hmm. This, this is scientific proof. Now, some of us may think differently than others, right? Like, you know, there, there may be some neurons and all that kind of stuff that are there, you know, and I, I know there's studies as well that show that, you know, the way men think and women think. Yeah, we got all that. But when it comes to multitasking, if you're trying to multitask, you're really not focused on the task and you're not going to be able to get it done the way that it should be done. You're not giving it 100%. And so the reality is that we need to be able to focus. I, you know, I remember um, growing up, you know, um, whenever we did homework, we, we, we didn't have the TV on, we didn't have the radio on, we weren't allowed to do anything like that. Because what? Because we need to be focused on what we're doing, not on the sounds around us, right? So it's important for us as Christians to really consider that. Here's the thing, without discipline, we will be distracted and ultimately unfruitful. Are you here? Undisciplined Christianity is a chief goal of the enemy. You know why? The enemy wants us to be undisciplined in our walk with Christ so that way we don't bear the fruit that God wants us to bear. 
God wants us to be fruitful in all of our lives, but if we are undisciplined in our Christianity and our walk with the Lord, then we are never going to bear the fruit that we're called to. But here's the thing that I want you to get. When we're talking about discipline or distracted, I'm not just talking about personal discipline. That is important, and I will always try to marry these two, which is personal discipline and public discipline. Because it is not just about our personal disciplines and our walk with Christ, but it is also about the discipline that we, you know, enforce as a church. You're part of what God wants to do. And so that discipline, meaning when you call on someone who is not living righteously, you know that everyone in here, hear me, if you're a Christian in here, every one of us is responsible to make sure that if anyone among us is not living the way that God has called them to live, that we would confront them in love to help them grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Are you here? That's part of the discipline that the Apostle Paul is instructing this church after he's encouraged them about the end times and he's talking to them about what it is that they should be focused on and what it is that God is doing and all of those things that they're looking forward to. In the midst of that, when he's closing this portion of this letter, he is communicating to them about something that we don't talk about very often in our days and that is church discipline. Nobody wants to talk about this. This is something that we don't want to discuss. We don't want to deal with this topic because it's unpopular. Because people, listen, we start talking about church discipline, people start leaving because, you know, you're too rough, you're too hardcore. Hello. And there's, there's a lot of mindsets when we talk about church discipline. Like I know, you know, some of y'all come from, from, from the, the time when, you know, when you were on this thing, and if, especially in the Spanish church, you want this thing called disciplina. Hello. You know, the back row was reserved for you. Hello, somebody. You had to sit in the back row, and that meant you was on discipline. And listen, I don't know whether that's right or that's wrong. All that I know is that here's the deal. At least they were trying to discipline some folks. At least they were trying to make sure that people weren't just living how they wanted to live and just do whatever they wanted to do. And, and, and if we look at the Bible and we want to see the fruit, then there has to be that discipline. But can I tell you something? It cannot just be public discipline. It has to be personal discipline as well. It's got to come out of that place. And so if we are honest, second paragraph here, if we are honest, most of us have areas in our lives in which we are not disciplined. Is that not true? All of us, if we're honest, you know, you know, no matter how disciplined we may be, all of us have areas of our lives where we are not disciplined. And some areas are more impacting than others. The question is that I have for you today is are you a disciplined Christian? This, this is, my, this is the, the, the heart of this message is, are you a disciplined Christian? Are you disciplined in your walk? Are you disciplined in your devotion to Jesus? Or do you just kind of just flow by the seat of your pants in your Christianity? You just kind of go with the flow of whatever's going on, or are you disciplined? Are you devoted? Do you have this time with your God to make sure that you are growing in your faith? I mean, are you disciplined in all of the areas that we're called to as Christians? And I won't cover all of them today, but I want you to think about that. Because if you and I are not walking in discipline, then we're going to be distracted. And this is what the enemy wants, like I said in the, in, in the first paragraph there. Last paragraph, the root for the word discipline is the word disciple. A disciple is not just a student, one who learns, but is one who is a learner. Better said, it is one who is a liver of what he is learning. Are you hearing me? It is one who is living what you're learning. It is one who is not just learning. See, because when, when you looked at the times when Jesus, you know, Jesus called his disciples to him, that, that, that was something that was, that was different 
in, 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 in their time, in their era, because the way that it worked is that rabbis were pursued by people. So people would come to those rabbis and want to sit under them. But Jesus does it differently. He goes and he seeks, he pursues, and he calls his followers to do what? To follow me. He calls them to walk after him. He doesn't just tell them, hey, I want you to come sit in a classroom. No, no, no. He didn't say, hey, I want you to come and, uh, on Sunday mornings or I want you to come on Wednesday nights or Tuesday nights or whatever night it may be. I want you to come and sit down and hear what I have to say. That isn't the way that Jesus calls his disciples. He calls his disciples to be followers of him. In other words, he calls them to action. The moment that he calls them, it wasn't just for them to hear what he was saying. For sure, they had to hear. But he wanted them to be those who were committed to following the example he was leaving. And we think about being a disciple and we think about being disciplined in our walk with Christ. Then here is that question. Am I one that is living what I am learning? See, if the church will ever make the impact in the culture that is desperately needed, personal and public discipline within the church must be revived. Let me say that again. If the church will ever make the impact in the culture that is desperately needed, personal and public discipline within the church must be revived. How many of y'all think that our culture needs some impact? You know, I love, I, I, love, I love what one of my friends, you know, communicates, one, one, one of my pastor friends. You know, he says, to the degree that you are convicted is to the degree that those around you will be convicted. By the things that you're saying, by the things that you're living. So if I'm not convicted by this, it's not going to convict anyone else. If I'm, not, if, if I'm not being changed by the word of God, how's it going to change anyone else? It's not going to happen. And so for us, here's the big idea, and I wrote this, and, and I wrote it wrong earlier, so they might post it up here incorrectly. But the way that I wrote it was, Christianity that is not disciplined will be distracted. But what I wanted to say was, the church that is not disciplined will be distracted. The church that is not disciplined will be distracted will not be focused on this great commission, will not be focused on what we need to be focused on, will not be doing what God has called us to do because we'll be distracted with other things that are going around. I've said this often many times and I will always try to maintain this as a reality. It is important for the church that we maintain first things first. That we maintain the gospel as central, as center, as the thing that we are committed to above everything else. When it comes to every other thing that we do, listen, there are a bunch of good things. It's funny because we were having a meeting with pastors and we're talking about, you know, we, we've been having some discussions about, you know, racial reconciliation. And we've been talking about how can we, as the city of Oviedo and the pastors in Oviedo and the church in Oviedo, how can we get together and how is it that we can minister in a manner that is going to bring change? and that's going to bring that reconciliation. And the first thing that we got to realize is this, is that real reconciliation cannot happen apart from the cross. You get that? See, because we can talk about, you know, what's happened. We can, we, can, we, we can go back to the founding fathers and how, you know, when they came over here, this, you know, it wasn't like they discovered something. There were people here already. Hello. 
I'm just saying, like, you can't discover something that people live on. That's just not, that's not a discovery. I, you know, you may have found it for yourself, but that's not a discovery. Someone was already here. And we can talk about how there were some illegitimate things that were done, and, we, and, and those things are for sure need to be repented of. No question about all of that. But, 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 but the reality is that, you know, we can talk about that stuff, but the only thing that heals those things is what Jesus did on the cross. And so what that means for us is that it can't just be conversations about what happened between races and what happened between, you know, situations that went on in cities or nations. Or it has to be going back to the cross. That, that's the big thing, right? So here's, here's the deal. One of the, one, one of the ideas that came up in this, in this conversation was, you know, I, I would love to, and, you know, this is one of the pastors speaking, and I don't necessarily disagree with the heart behind it. I just don't know that this is, that, that this is the right way to look at stuff. And so in, in, in Oviedo, like, we don't have, like, a huge ghetto, right? Hello. Right, there's not like a huge projects, you know, there's not, there's not like huge areas, right? But nonetheless, you know, one of the guys like, hey, there's an area that, you know, definitely needs some help. And so, you know, we should, you know, we, we should come by and we should find a way to serve in that area. And, and, and I thought about it, I was like, yeah, that sounds good. And then when I went back and I started meditating on this and I started, you know, praying about this and I'm talking to the Lord about this, I started thinking about Jesus. And I'm, and, and I'm going to preach a series through the gospel of Mark in the new year. And as we walk through this, it's going to be entitled, you know, um, Jesus Impact. Because I thought about, is that the way that Jesus impacted his culture? I, you know, because automatically we want to think of a project we can do. As Christians, that's what we want to think about. And, and I just have to say this, and I know that some of you may not like what I'm about to say. That has not worked. That's not fixing anything. That's not doing what should be happening. You want to know why? And I'm going to tell you why. Because the church is not called just to a social gospel. That's not the first thing. The first, I mean, if we, if we want to be real about it, I mean, Jesus, right? You remember this guy by the name of Judas? You remember him, right? He's the one that betrayed Jesus. And remember the woman that she came and she dumped out this alabaster on his feet, this beautiful incense, and she rubbed it all over the place. And the, the, the room was filled with this fragrance. And, and, and Judas, you know, because he's so holy, right? He was like, this could have been sold and given to the poor. You remember Jesus' response? The poor will be with you always. He didn't say, let's go and fix all the poverty in the land. That's the gospel message. That, that isn't what he said, and I'm sorry, and I, and I know that that's offensive. But here's the thing. That does not mean that we should not care for the poor. Did you hear what I'm saying? We should be the most generous as Christians. We should be the most compassionate. We should be the most caring. We should be the ones who want to serve and want to help. So don't think that I'm saying, hey, we shouldn't care about That, that is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we put the cart before the horse because the gospel has to drive what we're doing. Because you know what happens? We will go out there and we will do some good stuff for people and never tell them about Jesus in a meaningful way. We'll feed them because we go, you know, right away, and I'm going I'm to move from this point because it's not even my message today, but I'm going to just give you this anyway. It's for free, right? <laughs> so, you know, when they, they, we automatically go to the feeding of the 5,000, right? And like, well, Jesus fed them. Yeah, he fed them after he preached to them for a long time. Hello. He didn't say, hey, I'm going to feed you so I can preach to you. That's not how it was. Hello. 
As a matter of fact, he shows the problem. He said, think about what Jesus says. Jesus said the next day they came back to him, and Jesus wasn't excited about that. Jesus was bothered. He's like, they didn't come back to me because they wanted to hear the word. They came back to me because they wanted a handout. Uh-huh. Anyway, let's move on. Let's move on. We get, we get distracted when we're not disciplined. We get distracted. When we're not disciplined, we forget what is first. We forget what is primary. We forget what it is that God saved us for. He saved us to be disciple makers. He saved us to be those who are out there as a light that is shining brilliantly with the gospel, with the, unto a people who desperately need it because they are bound in darkness. And you know what, y'all? It is getting darker and darker. And so that means that we need to be a light that shines brightly. So the church that is not disciplined will be a church that is distracted. So the first thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, discipline exposes the heart. Discipline exposes the heart. Let's read verses 6 through 9 and see what, this, see what it says here. It says, but we command you. This is not a suggestion, okay? This is a command, all right? This is not like, you know, hey, I got the Holy Spirit. You know, he says that in 1 first, in first Corinthians chapter 7. He's talking about marriage and things there. No, no, no. This right here is a command. Paul is crystal clear, right? Important. When the Bible says command, you need to look at what is being communicated next. He says, but we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you, not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. Discipline exposes the heart. Here's the thing. Whether it is personal discipline or it is public discipline, what it does is it exposes your heart. When you and I decide that we're going to go ahead and we're going to wake up, like right now, you know, I know some of you will be, you know, convicted by the Holy Spirit and you'll feel like, man, I need to be more disciplined in my walk with Jesus. And you're going to set apart a time and that time may be tomorrow morning at four o'clock. Amen. Because you are holy. And you know that there is no other time that you can really set apart for Jesus. And so you are going to say, man, I need to get up at 4 o'clock. And you are going to set that alarm clock because you are, you, are, you are living the word. Amen. And you are going to try to make sure that you do it. Right? And then what is going to happen? At 4 o'clock, when your clock goes off, you are going to reach over and you are going to hit the snooze button. And you're going to say, Lord, I am going to get up to pray, but I'm going to sleep another 8 minutes. Okay? Now, 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 why, now why, why do I say that? What does that expose in you? Well, I'm tired. Is that really what it exposes? I'm not saying you're not tired. I'm not saying you're not tired. What I'm saying is you are more concerned at that moment. Hear me when I say this, all of you snooze buttoners. And then, listen, I join the group every, you know, every now and again for sure. Right? But here's the thing. What is exposing in you is that you are more concerned with your comfort than you are concerned seeking your father. That's what it exposes. It exposes your, it, that's what, it, it exposes you. That's what it does. And you know what? When someone in, in a church setting comes to you and confronts you about your sin, hello, 
and tries to bring biblical church discipline, not that they're just, you know, imposing their opinions, right? This is so important. Listen to me now. When you talk about church discipline, don't just go to people and say, you know, I feel this. That's not, that, 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 that's not going to fly. Now, you may feel stuff for sure, right? You may, you may feel like you may be bothered by something. That's okay. Have that conversation. But that doesn't mean that that person has to buy into what you feel because they may not be, have, they, they, they may not be feeling the same way that you're feeling. Are you getting what I'm saying? But here's the deal. When it comes to the scriptures, it don't matter how you feel. It don't matter whether you like it or not. If the Bible says it, the Bible says it. And the Bible means it. And so when you come to a brother or a sister and you confront them with their sin, you know what it's going to do? It's going to expose their heart because either pride will rise up or humility will rise up. One of the two. They will either be prideful and try to defend themselves or they will be humble and they'll be like, man, you're right. One of the two is going to happen. And so when Paul is talking here, he's talking, look what he said. I mean, he starts off, that's pretty harsh. Look, I mean, look at his words. He says, this is a command to withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. You hear that? He says, don't hang out with them. Remove yourself from them. Hold on, Bishop, that's mean. There's a purpose behind it. We'll get to that purpose in a moment. But the reality is he's saying that if there is someone who is rebelling, remember we talked about tradition last week, right? Tradition is not just what man-made. Tradition is the passing down of God's word. It's the passing down of biblical truth. That's the tradition that we talked about last week because that's the tradition that, is, that, that Paul is talking about. Paul is not talking about, and I explained this last week. I'll say it again for those of you that may have missed it or forgotten what I said. Paul was not talking about our traditions from our denominational background. You know why? This book was written way before any denomination ever existed because a lot of us will tell you say well you know we got to keep the tradition what tradition is Paul talking about he's, he's not talking about what you feel is good that's not what he's talking about he's talking about the biblical practices you know examples that I gave or I'll give now is you look at communion like that is a biblical tradition you should participate in communion because that is a biblical tradition baptism is a biblical tradition worship of God is a biblical tradition preaching of the Word of God is a biblical tradition those things are biblical traditions Con confronting sin is a biblical tradition that needs to be upheld and this is what the apostle is talking about and he's saying if anyone if anyone is not given into those traditions withdraw withdraw from them don't don't hang out with them don't associate with them don't don't give them a pass hello somebody bishop man that's mean listen it's truth it's just the truth because you know what when you keep giving people a pass you keep giving the people a pass you know what happens you create monsters Hello? You create calloused Christians who are not sensitive to the Holy Spirit, who are not sensitive to what God is doing, because what? Because you keep giving them a pass. But Paul says to withdraw from those people as a command. And he, and he goes on further and he says something else. Verse seven. He says, for you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly. So there's two things that he talks about. He, it is those who are disorderly and those who are disobedient. These are the kind of people that he's dealing with here. And so the first one is the disorderly one. What is that word disorderly? In some of your translation, it means idle. And what it means is unwilling to work or without a plan. 
And so you have an undisciplined person who has no, I mean, they're not really seeking God. They're just going through the motions, coming to church. Listen, I've had conversation with plenty of people. They are really seeking the Lord. They are struggling in their walk. They are, I mean, they are burdened over their sinfulness. They are looking in the mirror of what God is doing, and they're condemning themselves. They want to leave the church because they feel like they don't fit or something like that. And then there's other people. They could care less about their sinfulness. They could care less about the fact that they don't pray. You confront them about prayer, it's not even a big deal. You confront them about where they are in the Word, they don't even care. They're they're, they're not concerned about it. It's a joke to them. You know why? Because we've given people a pass for too long. Because we've given them the right hand of fellowship. Like, that's okay. Wait a second. You know, I was talking in our, in our vision carrier class earlier today, and I said something. I said, you know, man, when I first got saved, my mom led me to Christ right before I turned 18 years old. And, you know, my, my grandmother's here, and she can attest, you know, I, I, did, I was not going to be a hypocrite as a Christian. And I wish that I could say that all of my Christianity in the last 20-something years, that there's never been moments in my life that I've been hypocritical. I'd be lying to say that. But here's the reality. The reality is, I remember when I got saved. I mean, I got saved. It was a radical salvation. I mean, God I mean, delivered me. And immediately, there was a hunger for God's word inside of my heart. Immediately, there was a hunger for prayer inside of my life. It wasn't like someone said, hey, man, you got to go pray for three hours a day. It wasn't like someone said, hey, you got to go study the Bible all this time. Listen, there was something that was drawing me, and it was a relationship with the Spirit of God. And I'm going to tell you something. If there was nothing drawing you, you need to check yourself. If there is nothing compelling you to come and pray, what I said in the class was that, you know, I was passionate for God, but that I was also judgmental because I didn't understand how half of these kids that were around me, most of them, they weren't reading their Bibles. We were in class. I was the only one that had an answer. It may have been because I was just, you know, thought I was too much. But anyway, I just had to raise my hand and just answer. But nonetheless, in conversation, in relationship, like what is going on here? Like why are you not in the word of God? Like why is it that you're not passionate about worship? Why is it that when the song, I mean, listen, it's, I've always been a, a person who loves worship. Why is it that we're standing here in the middle of worship and you're like a, you, I mean, you, you are like a lump on a log. And listen, I understand Everybody worships different, right? Everybody, you know, some people are loud, some people are low-key, you know. But listen, you, you need to be worshiping, though. I, I don't care. I don't care if you don't move. There should be reverence all over you. It's, it's not a staring party like. I'm just saying, like, 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 where is the reverence for God? I know, I know, it's offensive. I'm sorry. But the truth of the matter is, it's like, where is that passion for the Lord? You know, Paul is saying, listen, for those that don't have a plan, I love this because he's talking specifically for sure. There's no question. He is talking about people, and I want to make this crystal clear. In the context here, because we got to keep the context, right? In the context, he's talking about people that do not want to work. He's not just talking about people who don't want to work in the church. He's talking about people that don't want to work a job. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about people that are disorderly, that are idle, that they don't want to work. They, they don't want a job because, you know, but you know why they didn't want a job? They didn't want a job because they were waiting for the coming of Jesus. And they were like, listen, I don't need to be busy with anything, so I'm going to just be a busy body. Hello. That, that, that's what Paul said, right? Discipline exposes the heart. See, here's the thing. Paul gives us the example, and our eyes must be fixed upon Jesus. We should submit to leaders in, in, whose, in whose lives we can see Jesus, and we are to strive to follow those examples. Are you hearing me? 
Our eyes have to be fixed on Christ. The leadership in your life. I told the class today, I said, listen, if the, the word of God is the highest authority in this church, and if you hear me say something that contradicts the word of God, please don't be intimidated. I mean, at minimum, send me an email. Send me a text. Sit down and talk to me and say, Bishop, I don't understand what you said. It doesn't align because I am not God. Hello. I don't know everything. I miss it sometimes. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not always right. Just most of the time. Most of the time, I mean, but you know, not 100%, right? No one's perfect, I'm just saying. But the reality is that, that, that we have to have this discipline in our lives, right? We have to, we, we have to be leaders that, that walk, that live this example. You have to look to us as leaders and, and communicate and see that and then exemplify what you're seeing in our lives. That, 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 that's what's supposed to happen. That's what Paul says that he did here. He says, listen, we showed you how you're supposed to live. Paul makes it clear. He's like, look, when we were among you, we didn't eat, we didn't eat anyone's bread for free. And I love what he says in verse 9. Look at verse 9. He says, not because we do not have authority. What is Paul saying? He's saying, listen, as, an, as a leader in the church, I have authority. That's what Paul is saying. He's like, I have authority to live from the gospel. That's what God tells us, right, that we're supposed to live from the gospel. But what Paul says here is he says, listen, I didn't do this because I didn't have the authority to do it. I did it because I wanted to be an example to you. I did it because I wanted to make sure that you knew that it wasn't okay for you not to work. And so he communicates that to them. But it's not just those who are disorderly. It, are, it is those who are disobedient. Those are the two people that he's saying here. Those people that are disorderly and disobedient. The second thing which, which leads to this is, is what? Say this with me. Say a lack of discipline. Always. Say always. A lack of discipline always, say this, leads to sin. A lack of discipline always leads to sin. When you are undisciplined in your spiritual life, it is always going to lead you down the path of sin. Look at what he says in verses 10 and 12. He says here, he says, For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, idle, unwilling to work manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. Whenever there's a lack of discipline, it will always lead you to sin. Zig Ziglar, he's a, he's a well-known I'm Christian. Well, he's, he, he was a Christian who was a motivational speaker. And he, he said something that was good. He said, he said a lot of good things, but he said this. He said, when you aim at nothing, you will hit it every time. When you aim at nothing, <laughs> that's the only place you'll be perfect. You aim at nothing and you'll be 100%. You will be, you, you, you will be 10 out of 10, I'm just saying. If you aim at nothing, you will hit it all the time. You know what the Bible says? There is a word for sin that it actually means to miss the mark. To miss the mark. There's a mark of perfection. There's a mark of righteousness that God calls us to. And you know what? When we are not disciplined, we will consistently miss the mark. We will consistently miss the mark. One person said, I heard, I heard him say, the idle mind is the devil's playground. An idle mind is the devil's playground. You hear that? And it's true. 
When, you're, when your mind is just running all, I mean, when, when, you, when you don't fill your mind with the truth of God's word, there are other things that start to fill your mind. And listen, in the day and age in which we live, it is not, it is not difficult, hello, for things to fill your mind because they fill your eyes. Because you're on the internet and you're seeing this and you're clicking here and clicking there and you're all over the place. I mean, look, you go on, on some of you, for me, I'll be straight up. Some of my friends and family, I have to unfollow. I don't, I don't, I don't want to unfriend them, but I got to unfollow them because they are just crazy. They are out of their mind. And so you know what? I can't be like, if I'm scrolling through there and then I see all that, that's just nuts, Right? And so here's the thing. The thing is that we need to make sure that we understand that a lack of discipline always leads us to sin. Now, look, there's a difference between not being able to work and not being willing to work. Are you here? There's a difference. There's a difference between you being in, physically incapable of working, right? I mean, there, you know, or there, there's something wrong with you. There's something else when there's people that they just don't want to work. They're just not willing to work, and that is what Paul is rebuking here. He is telling him, listen, that is not the right mindset that you should have. And so what what was happening is, look what happens. Because they're unwilling to work, what do they become? They become more sinful. They become busybodies. They become gossips. We were sitting at our table in Forge, you know, the men's, the, the men's ministry that I participate in on Tuesday mornings, and we were talking um, last week about something. I don't remember the, the topic, but and in the conversation, one of the guys said that he lived in this small neighborhood, uh, this small um, um, county, and, and, and there was this one lady that, and I'm sorry it was a lady, ladies, but it just was a lady, and this lady would wake up every morning, and her job, according to her, was to go around and find all the gossip in the neighborhood and bring it to every house. So she went to the first house, found out what was going on, brought it to the second house. And he said, we lived in the last house, so we knew everything. Hello. And that was her job every day. She was all up in the business, right? She was all up in the mix, all of it, wanted to know what was going on. She didn't want to know nothing to fix anything. She didn't want to do anything that, to, you know, and, and, and sometimes for us Christians, because we're so spiritual, right? We want to pray about everything. Can I tell you something? There are some things you and Jesus need to talk about. You don't need to talk to anyone else about it. Let me, let me put it to you like this. If what you want someone to pray about is going to embarrass the person that you're going to tell them about, you shouldn't be telling them about it. Are you here? Unless that person gave you permission. So case in point, if, I, if you knew something about me, right, and, 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 and I'm, I'm confiding in you, you shouldn't go and go and say, hey, you know what, hey, hey you know, um, we need to pray for Bishop. Because A, B, C, and D, he, t- you know, he let me, you know, just, but we're going to pray about this. This is what we're doing. Listen, I don't care how close you are to people. You don't need to spread people's business like that under the guise of I'm praying for them. That is how gossip starts. Hello. That's what these people became. These people became busy bodies because they had no aim. They weren't aiming at anything. They were looking at the coming of Jesus, but suddenly they became the thing that's supposed to encourage them, the thing that should be keeping us holy. You know, we talked about it today in our, in our vision carrier class. You know, we believe in the resurrection of the dead, right? We believe in a resurrection of the just and the unjust. We believe in hell as being a real place. We believe in judgment as being eternal. Those are realities, right? And so you know what? Those things keep me with the fear of the Lord, and that way I don't just live how I want to live. Are you here? 
When I think about scriptures that remind me that I'm going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. When I think about the scriptures where Jesus says, many will come unto me in that day. When I think about those scriptures, those things keep me with my mind like, man, I cannot live how I want to live. Well, on the moments that I want, because listen, I'm, I'm a man just like anyone else in this room. There are moments that I just want to live in the flesh. I mean, there are moments that I want to forget that I'm bishop. I want to forget that I'm a child of God. There are moments that I want to do that. And listen, when those moments come, eternity is something that, that sobers me right away. Because there's no annihilation. It's not like I'm going to hang out in purgatory for a little while and then be annihilated. That's not going to happen. It's not like that, that, that's not truth. Those are things that someone lied to people about and told them that were not true. And so the truth of the matter is that we need to be those who are concerned with what? That we are concerned with not allowing ourselves to live idly. But that we are engaged and see, what, 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 what we need to do is we need to, we need to realize that, sadly, there are many in the church today who have jobs but are not involved in the mission of God, who are distracted with everyone's business in church and work. One of the, one, 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 amen. One of the worst things that we can be is be a person who has a job, right? Where we work, but man, everybody sees us as a busybody. We're not a person they can confide in. We're not a person that they would really bring prayer requests to. We're just a person that's just like everybody else, but we wield the title of Christian. The worst thing, and you know why that happens? Because we're not involved in the mission of God. Because we're idle when it comes to the things of God. We're idle when it comes to how we serve. We need to realize that our witness to the world depends largely on our work ethic. You want to know something? There was a pastor. He moved from Virginia to Texas. And he brought a bunch of his leaders with him. And they started, you know, they started a church. And so they were all in full-time ministry. And he realized that it was a huge mistake for him to start the ministry like that. Because, first of all, how you pay everybody if all of you are in full-time ministry? Hello. That's kind of rough. But anyway, they, you know, they, they worked through that. But the other thing was they weren't able to make the impact on the culture around them because nobody was in the culture. And so what happens is we need to realize that God doesn't want, I mean, I pray that we can, you know, grow to the point that we can bring other people on full time and that we can, you know, do that. But here is the thing, that God has us in places where he wants us so that way we can make an impact. But it is important that our work ethic is right. It is important that we are a light that is shining brightly and that we are not dimming the light and diminishing the name of Christ before a world that needs to see righteousness. This is what needs to happen. See, we cannot be idle, but we must be the most diligent. We cannot be busybodies, but we must be a source of life and hope to those who are hurting. That's what God calls us to be in the workplace, in the work field. The third thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, the goal of discipline is repentance. The goal of discipline is repentance. Look at verses 13 to 15 with me. And he says this, but as for you, brethren... Do not grow weary in doing good. And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed. Did you, did you just read that? should underline that. Do not keep company with this person so that way they will be ashamed. But look at the next verse. 
yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. You know, it's a joke that among men, shame and abuse is the love language. You know, you ever hang out with some guys and they're going to, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's shame and abuse. I mean, all day long, you just, you just, you know, cracking jokes on each other. That's just how guys are, you know, and, and it's, it, it, it is what it is. Right? We love you, you know, and that's why we do it. If we, didn't, if we don't shame you, if we don't abuse you, if we don't guilt you, we don't love you. We, we, don't, we don't love you. I mean, really, we don't. I mean, that's just, <laughs> we're tolerating you, right, because we're, we're afraid to offend you, you know. So, so ultimately, well, what we realize here is that the Apostle Paul, he's a man's man, right, and he's like, yo, make him ashamed. <laughs> that's not it. Okay? That's nothing to do with him being a man. But what he's saying is he's communicating. And he's saying, listen, withdraw from that person. First thing he says is what? He says, do not grow weary in doing good. So because there's, there's people around you, there are some people who genuinely, right, I said there's a difference between those who can't work and those who won't work, right? And so you can't mix up the two and, and just throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, I'm never going to help someone. That's the reason why it's so important that you're in the spirit when you're driving, that you're sensitive to the Lord because not every homeless person is, you know, the one that was on 2020 or whatever that earned $40,000 last year. That's not every one of them, Right? There's some cynical um, situations that, you know, we get into. But the truth is, we need to be sensitive to the Spirit of the Lord. We need to know when God is saying, help that person. And you need to also be able to look at something and say, man, that looks like I should help, but God is saying, don't help. Because there's both, right? Both of those situations are there. And so the Apostle Paul, he's trying to get us to understand that we need to be those kind of people who are who, who are doing this discipline in order to bring repentance. That's the heart behind all, rep- all discipline that you see throughout Scripture. It is that we would help people come to repentance. The reason there should be shame, you know what this word shame means? It means to remove honor from them. It's so that way they would know, man, there's a reason why we're not hanging out anymore. It's not because I don't love you. It's because you are dishonoring God. Because you are not living the life that you're called to live. And so I'm not going to support that. I'm not going to be part of that. I love you, and I'm going to call you, and I'm going to see how you're doing. But we ain't going to hang out. We're not doing that. Until you repent. Until you turn from this. And so what I want you to realize, we're going to go through a few scriptures here in a moment, is that all that, that biblical discipline is the only hope for those within the church who are brothers to recognize and repent of their sin. Are you hearing me? If there is no biblical discipline, there is no hope that these people are going to repent apart from the Holy Spirit. But can I tell you something? This is something that we do not want to hear. God put his spirit inside of us so he could use us to do things. You know why I say we don't want to hear that? And and, and listen, I say we. I didn't say you. I said we. Because there's a lot of times that because we don't want to have a tough conversation, we just say, Lord, I'm going to pray about this. Father, convict their hearts. Father, show them their sin. You know, being a leader when I was, a, when, when I was in youth ministry, even, even, even as an adult when I first started um, leadership, and, and, and look, tough conversations are tough conversations. I've never gotten to the point where tough conversations are not tough. I don't know. Maybe one day I'll get there. You know, I think when you get a little bit older, you just don't care anymore. You're like, whatever, and you just tell them how it is. I'm just saying. But I haven't gotten to that point yet, right? But, but I, you know, there's a point, you know, that you get, you, I think, that you get to that place. But what I realized is that I was in leadership, and I would pray about stuff. And I would say, God, convict their heart. God, show them their sin. And I, and I, would, I mean, I would go after God fasting and, and crying out to him, and he's like, Jason, you're in their life. Tell them about their sin. Hold on a second. Lord, but that's your job. No, no, no. That's your job. I'll convict them. You communicate to them. 
Are you here? You see, it's not my job to convict you of your sin. It's not. It's my job to show you your sin. And can I tell you something? It is not just my job. It's your job. Yeah, I got two amens, right? It is, not, it, it, it is not the pastor's job. It's, it, it's, it's not just the leader's job. It is everyone's job. If you are a Christian, you are supposed to call your brothers and your sisters to account. And can I tell you something? It's easier when you do it. Are you here? Instead of waiting for the pastor to do it. It's not easier for you. It's just easier to do. Hello. I, it's not easy for anyone. But it's easier to bring discipline into someone's life when you actually confront them in love because you know what? You are in the relationship with them. And you know what? Most times, I was going to say this because this is a reality. Most people, right? Some of y'all don't care, but most people, you're on your best behavior when the pastors are around. Some of you don't care. You're like, I don't care who's around me. I'm going to be a heathen. But anyway, I appreciate that. I respect that, you know. That's good because then I can confront you and be like, hey, you put it out there, so let's talk about it. But most people, most people, when, when the pastor comes around, they put on their, their Sunday best. You know? They, they never listen to worship music in their house. You come over, all of a sudden, they got worship playing everywhere. They don't even know what Z88.3 is. All of a sudden, that's the station that's on, you know? I mean, they, they, they don't ever pray before a meal. All of a sudden, hey, let's pray, let's pray. I mean, they get holy. Your kids are looking at you like, what are you talking about? Like, what, like, <laughs> kids are just, and you know how, and listen, your kids will put you out there too because they start eating and you know, you know, listen, oh, y'all, yeah, y'all, yeah. you know when someone prays because people wait to eat when people pray. When you just dig in, you know, there ain't nobody waiting like, oh, my bad, my bad. What you mean you're bad? Like, is this not a norm? I'm just saying, right? And I'm not saying you have to pray before every meal. I'm just trying to point out that it is a lot more difficult for the leadership to be the only disciplinaries in the church. When you have relationship with people and people let their guard down. And listen, the, you know, when we talk about church discipline, the reason why it's supposed to be everyone is because the leadership is not supposed to be some watchdogs. We're not supposed to be like the Gestapo or something like that, you know. Like we're the spiritual guy. Like, like, like that's not who we're supposed to be. We're supposed to train, develop. We're supposed to raise you up to do the things that God has called you to do. That's what we're called to do. But as a church, we're supposed to be part of this disciplinary process. And so what I want you to realize is that all church discipline, with any, listen, with any, within any congregation, you know, we need, we need to make sure that we are looking at what the Bible calls for when it comes to discipline. So we're going to look at some scriptures here. So the first one is Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 18. I want you to see what, the, what, what these scriptures communicate. And, and that way you can see that every time the Bible talks about church discipline, it is speaking about one particular thing. So it says, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Don't go to a prayer meeting and pray for them. Tell him you alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, 
every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So and I want you to notice in the beginning, this, first of all, this is dealing with personal sin. This is when your brother sins against you. When your brother, your sister does something against you, there is something that is supposed to happen. You are supposed to confront them with the hope of what? Winning your brother. Are you getting that? It's not, listen, the goal isn't to get him before the church and kick him out and treat him like a tax collector. Hello. That's not the goal. That's the end result of their unrepentant. Why does he say go to them one-on-one? -on -one? Because the hope is that they'll repent. Why does he say bring two witnesses? Because the hope is that they will repent. Why does he say to bring them before the church to embarrass them? That's not the goal. The goal is that with the witnesses, and when I say witnesses, I'm not talking about people who are seeing what is happening. That's not what he's talking about. When he's saying let every word be established by two or three witnesses, what he is saying is that these people would agree with what the word of God is saying. Remember I said last week, I think it was last week or the week before, that I said, listen, you don't need to go seek a second opinion. Hello. Right? We hear what the word of God says, and then we want to go get a second opinion somewhere down the street. No, 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 no. This is what the Bible says. And I said, if you keep reading the Bible, you'll see God gave you a second opinion, a third opinion, a fourth opinion, because he repeats himself because he knew you were going to seek a second opinion. Hello. It's just a reality. That's how we are. We, we, we are hoping that somehow God will change his mind. He won't. So when I come with, with someone, so if Ozzy offends me, and I come to Ozzy and I say, look, man, and when I say Ozzy offends me, I want to qualify this. If Ozzy sins against me, okay, it's not just that I felt bad about something Ozzy did. If Ozzy sins against me in a biblical way, I come to him and I say, listen, man, this is what the Bible says. You did this, 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 and this, and I, and I need to let you know about it. And if Ozzy's like, bro, I don't want to hear that, man. That's how you feel. Then I need to say, okay, you know what? I need to go get some other people who will affirm what the word of God says. And the hope is that he will repent of his sin and that he will come to faith in Christ. And the reason why you get to the place of a tax collector and heathen is because of what? It's because you don't want that brother to continue in his sin thinking he's okay with Jesus. So the hope is still what? Repentance. He's an evangelistic pro, you know, prospect now. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 23 through 26. So the first one was about personal sin. The second one is about doctrinal error. Look what he says. He says, but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. So even when someone is doctrinally incorrect, on something. What is the point of you confronting them? Repentance. It's because you want them to be right with the Lord. It's not because you want to embarrass them. And that's not the point. The point is to bring them to the place that they see their error. That's the reason why you, why, why, you act, why you activate or you act upon church discipline. The third one here, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 through 3. And this one here is a, is a brother who's overtaken in sin. He says, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, in other words, if someone is overtaken by sin, if someone is living in a sin, this, this, this is what he's saying here. Look what he says. He says, you 
who are spiritual. Say spiritual. What is he saying? He didn't say you who are leaders. That's not what he said. He says you who are spiritual. You have a relationship with the Lord. You who the Spirit of God dwells in. Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks, him, thinks to himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And so what's the point here? It's that word restore, right? That word restore is what? That's a word that, that, that is utilized in medical terms to restore a bone, to reset a bone. When a bone is out of place, it needs to be reset. That's what, that's what that word is. And when a person is overtaken in sin, you know what the scriptures teach? That person needs to be restored. That's what needs to happen. Titus chapter 3, verse 10. <clears throat> he says, look, reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition. Reject, look, this is, this is the repeated troublemaker. Hello. This is the person that continues to be divisive, the person who continues to put his foot in his mouth, the person who continues to, to be unrepentant. Look what he said. He didn't say after the first time, after the first and second, after you have tried to reason with them, then at that time you reject them. You don't just decide, hey, you know what, I'm not hanging out with them. That's what many of us do. I don't want to deal with that problem, so I'm not hanging out with them anymore. That's not what, that, that's not what Paul says. And the last one here is 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Look what he says. And this is about open immorality. This, this is what he's talking about. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. And such sexual immorality is not even named among the Gentiles. That a man has his father's wife. And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I indeed, as absent in the body, but present in the spirit, have already judged as though I were present. Him who has so done this deed in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered, to, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look what he says. Deliver such a one to Satan for what? For the destruction of the flesh, look at this, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when you have someone who is openly defiant, when you have someone who is openly sinful, when you have someone who is in some heinous kind of sin in the church, you know what he says? The reason why you deliver that one to Satan, the reason why you call him out in sin and you put him out of the church is for what? So that way his flesh will be dealt with and his spirit will be saved. It's to bring repentance. And you can just write the scripture down. I didn't have them put this one up there. But the, the second part of that scripture would be 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6 through 11, where the apostle Paul compassionately tells the people, restore this brother. After he told him to kick him out, because that's what he does, after he tells him to kick him out, then he says to restore him. Because what? Because it's not to destroy people. And so here's the bottom line. Are we disciplined or distracted? My question is that. Are you disciplined or are you distracted? Are you disciplined in your walk? Are you disciplined in your commitment and your devotion to Christ? Are you distracted with all kind of other stuff that's going on? That's a, that's a heavy question, especially for this season. The season that we're living in, you know, we say it's all about Jesus, but really, we're distracted. Going, we got to go shop for this. We got to go get the gifts for 19 people. You know, we got we to gotta make this. We got to do this. We got to, you know, I thank God my wife, you know, she decided, I, I don't do anything anyway, but, um, you know, she decided this year she wasn't putting up the Christmas tree. I was like, praise the Lord. Amen. 
I didn't have to do I, one less thing I had to do. I didn't have to take the Christmas tree down and, you know, put it in the living room. That's all I do for that. I don't, I don't really. Just letting y'all know. Call me a Scrooge, whatever. I ain't going to be distracted. I'm too disciplined for that. That's what y'all talking about. I, I'm not. I'm just... Hey, man, I know some guys are taking notes right now. They're like, Bishop, I'm, I'm going to use it. I'm, ne- next year, I'm using you, bro. Listen, I do want to do some decorations. We didn't have the money to, to, to purchase them this, this, this past year or so. You know, maybe we'll do it this year um, coming up. But nonetheless, at the end of the day, this is the time for sure that we're distracted. You know, Sister Cheryl, she continues to, you know, ask us to pray in our, in our time in prayer, you know, to pray that we won't be distracted. That everything that's going on, that the busyness of life won't distract us from what matters. And it's important that we maintain that discipline. And so my question is that for you. Are you not just in this season, but in general? Don't give yourself a pass because of the season either. Hello. But in general, are you disciplined? Are you a disciplined follower of Christ? Or are you a distracted follower of Christ? God calls us not just to public discipline the church, but to personal discipline his children. And so my hope is that we will all walk away from this and say, God, I need to be more disciplined in my walk with you. And I'll make, and that you will make some level of commitment to the Lord and that you will ask him for his grace in order for you to live out that discipline. Because here's the reality. You can make all the commitments in the world. You can set your alarm clock and put it across the room. And that may make you walk to that alarm clock, but you could still turn it off and go back to bed. I'm just saying. Because that works too, amen, right? That happens. Sometimes that occurs. You can do anything. You can make all the commitments in the world apart from the grace of God. Apart from the grace of God, you will not be able to be disciplined. See, grace has to be the thing that disciplines us. The gospel has to be the motivation. The reason why I pray, I said it. The reason why I was in the Word when I first got saved is because my heart was rocked and I didn't even understand the gospel to the degree that I understand it today. I didn't realize how sinful I was and how separated I was from God. I didn't realize how how horrible I had been in my life and how deserving of death and judgment I was. But that's what the gospel showed me. It revealed that to me. And that's why the Bible says that we love him because he loved us first. Those aren't just words. Those have to be. Those have to be the real motivations that are there. And that only comes, the reason why I love him is because he's revealed his love to me. Because he showed me that while I couldn't save myself, that while you cannot save yourself, that while you cannot do anything to appease God and make him forgive you, that he makes the way clear. That he comes, he dies in your place. He sheds his blood for you. He lays his life down. He rises again for your justification, for my justification, so that we can be reconciled, so we can be brought back into this relationship. And you know what's sad? Here's the sad reality. Here's the guilt of the whole thing. The sad reality is that Jesus paid all of that price to give us a new identity and to give us a living way to access his throne room. And we have the audacity to hit our spiritual snooze button all the time. We, don't, we are not even grateful for the living way that was made for us. We don't, and you know how we know we're not grateful? Because we don't access that throne room as often as we ought to. And so today, my prayer is that you will recognize where it is you need to be disciplined in your walk with Christ. And that you will not continue to live status quo, but that you'll begin to grow and become a Christian that is focused on the gospel mission that God has called you to. Amen? So I'll stand to our feet. Let us pray together.
Father, we thank you so very much. Thank you for this day that you have given us. We thank you for your great love. We thank you for your great mercy. We thank you for your great grace. And Lord, today we just humble our hearts before you. And Spirit of God, we do pray that you would fill us with an awe of you. That you fill us with the reminders of your grace, your gospel, your love. That you would empower us, Lord, to live holy, to live righteous, to live disciplined lives for your glory and for your honor's sake. Father, I pray that we'll be a church that is not distracted. I pray that we would be a people that are truly focused in on and consumed by your great, great love for us. That we would really be overwhelmed by that truth, God, and that we would live, that we would seek you not because we were guilted into waking up early or setting apart a time for your word, but God, that we would be overwhelmed by who you are and that we would see it as a delight to be in your presence. Father, I pray that you forgive us for being distracted. Forgive us for being undisciplined, God. Help us to grow in this. We pray this in the good name of Jesus. Everyone said, come on, give God a hand of praise. He is worthy.